everyone and welcome to today's BMC Software BCO webinar series. Today's call is being recorded. At this time, I'd like to turn things over to Mr. Giuseppe Nardiello. Please go ahead, sir. Thanks, and welcome everybody to BMC Capacity Optimization Best Practice Webinar. Um, in case you have any problem in connecting to the WebEx or the conference number, please use the chat window and uh, talk to our host. We will uh, provide uh, assistance. For any other question you may have, please use the question and answer Q&A window that is available among the WebEx panels. Uh, as uh, we say, the, 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 the session is recorded and uh, it will be published on the BMC communities. Uh, also question and answers that you will have and we will provide answer to will be also published. So hopefully we can move to the next um, slide. Today uh, our speaker will be Michael Pasca from our tech support uh, team. Uh, the topic of the day is administering and maintaining BCO, BMC capacity optimization. Uh, we have a number of panelists. Uh, including myself, uh, Marco Colombo, and Alessandro Trolli from Product Development, and Giorgio Gasparini from Customer Support. Uh, as for all the materials that we uh, provide in, in those web webinars, uh, of course, all the content, including recommendation information that is described in the slides and provided during uh, the, the exchanges with you in the question and answer window, uh, this is, of course, subject to change uh, and, uh, of course, doesn't imply any, uh, uh, any commitment from the PMC part. So you, I think you're pretty much used to these legal notices and uh, without further ado, I think we can start. Mike, I think at this point, is all yours. Thanks. Thank you, Giuseppe, and thanks to everyone for attending uh, this uh, BCO Best Practices webinar. I just wanted to start uh, by noting, you know, the, the information that's uh, presented today is related to the current version of BMC Capacity Optimization, version 9.0. Uh, for the most part, um, the vast majority um, of this information is going to apply directly to BCO 4.5, but there will be a future presentation uh, in the Best Practices webinar series that's going to cover the functionality that's provided for the upcoming BCO 9.5 release. So there certainly will be some changes from some of the material presented today um, in relation to 9.5, and those, you know, those aren't being covered uh, in this material. So um, the basic agenda uh, that I'm going to go through is I'm going to start with just a very, very brief component overview, just talk about a few of the pieces of BCO. And then I want to talk about uh, some installation recommendations and then some you know, immediate post-install recommendations. Um, you know, for some of you that already have the product installed, um, this, you know, might be a recap, but uh, uh, I think it will be useful to cover uh, some of this. And then moving into uh, some BCO maintenance activities. Uh, online help is a brief topic. I just want to mention it's there. Talking about the vCenter service extractor, since that really is the, the, the one ETL that you see implemented almost everywhere. Uh, talk about some BPA ETL configuration recommendations and best practices and then get into some of the BCO data flow and BCO recovery and debugging um, techniques. So I think the data flow is important because once you start to understand how the data moves through the BCO product, it becomes a lot easier to pinpoint uh, problems uh, and drill into uh, what needs to be done to fix them. So uh, starting with a BCO component overview. 
there are basically um, you know, three components that make up the BMC capacity optimization product. There's the BCO application server, which, is the, which runs the console. It runs the, the data hub, which imports the, which takes the data uh, that the ETLs import into the staging area, and it, it gets them into uh, the database so that you can see them through BCO. There's a, generally a separate machine or set of machines that's the BCO ETL engine server, which, is the, which are the machines that actually run um, the ETLs, which are extracting data, and these machines then import that data uh, into, um, into BCO. So um, they, they put the data in the staging table. And then from there, there's the BCO database server. There's one database server. It manages the whole environment, and it contains all of the tables uh, that, um, that BCO has. So, so basically, um, you've got this one, um, one database, one or more application server. Usually there, there would be, depending on the environment, a load balancer that might sit in front of the application servers. And then from there, you have the uh, BCO ETL uh, engines. And usually, in a large environment, there might be many of those, um, you know, some five or six um, or more. Um, but it, it depends on the load of the, uh, the ETL. It depends on the load of the data that's being imported. Uh, and sometimes it might even be just situating an ETL engine close to a data source. Um, and then from there, once you've started BCO, um, BCO is made up of a, a bunch of different processes. So on the, and you'll see almost, uh, you know, most, many of these running on the BCO console. Um, the, you've got Tomcat, which is uh, the, which runs the console itself. There's a data hub process, which is uh, JBoss. And it's basically managing, like I said, the, uh, it has a bunch of different services, but it's managing um, the movement of data uh, into the tables and summarization of data. There's an analysis server, which is the R server, um, which is used for doing mathematical calculations, things like trending lines and things like that. Uh, there's a scheduler that will run on every single machine in the environment. and um, which basic, which is kicking off BCO uh, jobs. So it might be running ETLs, it might be running system tasks, but anything that executes at a specific time uh, is done through the scheduler. Uh, there's the data accumulator process, which actually is um, not frequently used in a BCO environment. Uh, data accumulator is, is used by certain types of ETLs that accumulate data, usually from like an S, uh, from a polar, um, an S. MT, no, FNMP polar. Uh, and, then, um, and then you've got your ETLs, um, which when they're running, run in their own sub-process. Uh, and they're either Java or Perl. Uh, and those run, would, would run on your ETL engine servers. And then you basically have an Apache um, HTTPD front end, uh, which integrates with the console, uh, the Tomcat uh, BCO console. And basically, the Apache front end handles the things like handles the web pages that BCO is servicing, and the Tomcat handles uh, think, handles the the views and handles the you know the Java part of the BCO application. And generally, you know, all of these processes, um, you know, particularly the console, data hub, 
um, scheduler, uh, HTTPD. You'll see these running on the, uh, on the application server. Um, they'll generally be up and running all the time. Um, and and there's, you can check the status of them basically with um, the, with the CPIT status command. We'll talk about that a little bit later uh, to see that they're running. So as far as BCO installation recommendations, um, I just want to make a few general recommendations, uh, especially before the install, things to be prepared for uh, when you get involved in a BCO install. The first is that there's a sizing spreadsheet that can be filled out that allows the product team to uh, make sizing recommendations for your environment. So what that means is that you specify which ETLs you're planning on implementing, how many uh, different, um, how many different uh, systems will be imported by each of those ETLs, and you specify that in a spreadsheet which then allows the product team to review the environment and come back and make recommendations for how many ETL engines to have, what type of memory configuration to have, what type of C CPU sizing is necessary, what type of disk space to, is going to be expected or disk consumption is going to be expected on the database side. Uh, so this can be, this is really valuable for making sure that the environment is sized correctly um, because, you know, it's certainly easy to add a new ETL engine to an existing BCO installation. But if an application server is undersized, you know, that could be a bigger, a bigger deal. Or particularly if the database is undersized, that's going to affect the overall performance. I also wanted to call out a, a particular setting um, that is referenced in the, you know, documentation. There's a whole section in the documentation on preparing for the, the BCO install. Um, and one of the key settings is the no file limit um, on the OS. If that limit is not set, uh, not changed from the default, there is a, you know, I think at this point, 100% chance that you're going to run into this um, too many open files error uh, in the JBoss component of uh, BCO Data Hub. And that, th that error message, uh, there's a good chance that it's going to fill up your file system and cause problems before you get started. So I strongly recommend uh, viewing this, uh, preparing a host for the BCO capacity optimization installation. You know, review this documentation, but this no file limit is, is a critical change. And then another piece that I see um, uh, get trip people up in the install is um, decide how you're going to have the BCO table space uh, configured. Decide how you're going to have the BCO table space configured. Uh, the, there are two ways to do it, which is via the create users and table spaces SQL script. Uh, which is where the DBA himself actually goes in and pre-configures the database for you, or there's the, um, or you can actually have the BCO installation configure the whole in B database environment for you. So basically, you would specify um, the sys DBA user credentials at install time, and BCO will create the tables for you. Uh, typically, um, this is a good way to do it, um, but um, but a lot of the times the DBA will say, no, I, I want control over the script. So just make sure you know whether you have the sys credentials to do the install or whether you need to use this um, create, uh, have the DBA create the table space for you. Another thing that trips people up is the um, JDBC URL, um, which is just your DBA will generally know exactly what you should specify for a JDBC URL. Um, there's a default that the BCO installer will construct for you, 
And if, there's, and if that doesn't work, for example, you're implementing an Oracle rack environment, um, then what that means is that you can have um, – uh, there's an alternate JDBC URL that needs to be specified. Um, like I said, the DBA will generally know what that is. Um, but if uh, it doesn't, um, you, there's a test program that uh, we've provided that you can run. This is even before installing the product. Uh, where you can specify, you know, you can test to different JDBC URL. But again, usually the DBA knows it. <clears throat> you know, we're feasible, have a test environment. I, I can't stress how important this is. Um, it, it's a way to, a place to deploy um, patches before you've deployed them to production. It's a place where you can tr do a trial upgrade before you move into production. Um, what I see is environments that have some sort of a test environment, just small, it doesn't have to match production, uh, but just something where you can, you can work as a sandbox area to test things um, before rolling into production can be incredibly valuable. Um, and then just back up, and, you know, back up and recovery, what's the strategy for that? Make sure that your DBAs have that, um, have a plan for that especially um, where, you know, when you do the sizing, you know, the BCO database can grow quite large, and so uh, DBAs, the DBA should have a plan to be able to back up that environment. Um, partitioned Oracle database for production implementation, um, it's recommended in the documentation. I would go as far as saying in a true production environment, a scale, large-scale production environment, it's required. Um, the, the performance of a partitioned database uh, is, is well beyond the performance of a non-partition database in relation to BCO, particularly in relation to the data deletion. And so it's really critical to use um, the uh, partitioning, Oracle partitioning. And then just a final note, because uh, I've seen this, people run into this, which is BCO installation, both the application server and the ETL engine requires X-Windows connectivity. Uh, if you don't have X-Windows, you know, make sure that that's working on your BCO application server. Make sure you have an X-Client uh, that you can connect to uh, before getting involved in the install, because if you don't have X-Windows, uh, you're not getting the product installed. Uh, installation guides um, are, uh, you know, are here. Recommendation is certainly install easy, uh, install early in the week. Uh, and early in the day when it's possible, especially for a new install. It just gives more time uh, for people to engage, and it gives a chance for more resources, you know, globally to uh, engage in, uh, if there is a problem. Another big point is that the installation logs are in the uh, temp BCO install log, uh, temp directory, and it's called BCO install log uh, That installation log file um, has more, a lot more messaging than will appear uh, on the GUI screen. So the BCO installer GUI may say something like, um, you know, like the Oracle SID is not valid. But there will be more details inside of the log file uh, that will provide more information. The log is somewhat difficult to read just because it is quite verbose. Um, but if they do have problems, it's the first thing that support is going to want to assist uh, for, for any sort of an install problem. And one of the recommendations that I make is installing the ETL engine on your application server. Uh, you don't want to schedule ETLs on it, but it, it can be useful for debugging. It's something that you might not use, but it has so little impact for installing it uh, that in the few scenarios where you say, geez, I wish I had installed it, it's worth having there. You know? So I recommend the first application server, you know, your primary AS where the data hub is running, just drop an ETL engine there. Don't schedule stuff on it. 
um, as a matter of course, uh, just for performance reasons. But um, if you can get something there, um, you know, for, for any sort of debugging, it's useful. And then just one, you know, comment as far as downtime goes. You know, before the upgrade, really decide what type of downtime. It's, it's an install or an upgrade. Uh, decide what type of downtime is, is acceptable in your environment. Uh, you can't roll back from an upgrade uh, without a BCO file system and database restore. So generally an upgrade is a go forward path. And so usually it means that if there is an issue, you know, support uh, is going to engage immediately with you to address, um, address what's going on as far as the upgrade goes. Um, but the same goes, at some level, it's similar with the service pack too, which is you can't roll back. There's not a roll back button for a service pack either, uh, which usually means that, that once you've applied the service pack, the next step is going to be to go forward to get it successfully applied. Now, these are not common, you know, in upgrades failing and service packs failing is not expected behavior, but it's really good to have a plan for what happens when they do and decide, um, decide what type of downtime is acceptable. Because um, if the answer is the product can't be down, then we're going to move towards the rollback, restore file systems, restore databases. Um, if the answer is we have a little bit, little bit of leeway, we might actually work a little bit longer on trying to, um, to debug the problem as opposed to moving into rollback. And then just one other comment is just, just verify you have the correct installation image. Um, this is certainly a problem, uh, especially if you pick like the RHEL 6 image and you install it on RHEL 5, uh, because what happens is you run into a situation where uh, the libraries are um, incompatible and the product won't work after the install due to library errors. Post-install, the BCO component is started via the CPIT command, which lives in the, in the I'm going to use a CPIT base. You know, we'll see this, you'll see this a lot in documentation as an environment variable, dollar sign CPIT base. Um, and basically, uh, this is a directory where uh, it's the BCO installation directory. And so you can basically, you know, run the CPIT command to start it. Everyone will do this. Once it's, one of the things that the CPIC command will do is there, there are these watchdog scripts that get deployed into cron. And what they're basically, their purpose is, is to make sure that if for any reason any of the BCO processes terminate, um, particularly the scheduler, um, you know, which might happen because of a Java memory error or something, if it terminates, this watchdog script is going to see it and it's going to start it back up for you. This is great if you have cron access. Um, if you don't, it's generally best to try to deploy these scripts via another automated mechanism. So it's really good to have the watchdogs because the, in the, the event that a process does terminate for some reason, uh, it will fix it up for you. It'll start it back up. Um, now, once you're done with the installation, there's a couple of events, a couple of tasks that happen, or events that happen that I think uh, it's useful to know about. So the first thing that happens is that the, well, not the first, but one of the first is the database space manager is run to create the initial database partition. So you'll actually see this when you're looking in the post install. There's a, a screen when you first log into the BCO GUI that will, uh, or web interface, that uh, shows you the steps that it's going through. One of the things that it's going to say is, you know, what do you want the aging configuration set to, which is uh, 
and we'll talk about this a little later, but the um, how long to maintain data in each of the tables. And basically, um, those tables or those partitions are managed by the database space manager. Once you've set the aging, it creates the partitions, and now the data is, um, you know, the database is prepared to have data loaded into it. Without the partitions, no data can get in. One of the other things that it does is BCO does a self-test where sample data is imported by a test data warehouse to load, um, to estimate um, the ETL load, make sure things are working. Uh, database space manager gets run again to collect some new performance table statistics, and then another larger set of test data is imported uh, into BCO. Uh, and the purpose of that is to basically measure um, the, you know, come up with a, a throughput calculation. And at the end of this, this uh, process, all of that data gets deleted and the ETL that brought it in gets deleted. So BCO, you start with a clean BCO install. But what's been calculated here is this data flow report. Um, the, this, there's an estimated daily capacity that's been calculated. And that can be useful um, as a guideline, you know, when you look at your BCO environment and see how much data it's importing. Uh, you can compare it to, you know, what the estimated daily capacity is, and this is over an eight-hour period. Now, there have been certainly, I think, some changes recently, um, particularly in relation to the service ETLs, which we will talk about later, like vCenter, uh, where data is being imported over a 24-hour period. So instead of data being crunched into a single eight-hour period of import, it's now, which is typical, like an eight-hour import window, it's being spread out over the whole day. Um, so you have a little bit more leeway uh, than this, this daily capacity when you're, when you're a heavy vCenter shop. Um, but this is, a, this is a nice guideline to, be, to see what BCO saw as, um, uh, as an estimated daily capacity. Note that if there are significant, perform, you know, significant changes in your database, um, you know, this number is not going to be updated because it was run at, the, um, at install time. Uh, so just be aware of that. For example, if you added more CPUs or, you know, moved to a faster I.O. subsystem, whatever you've done, you're not going to see that number change. The administrative uh, tree here, um, overview, not much to say here. There's a whole bunch of, um, you know, there's a lot that can be done on the, under the administration tab. Uh, here's, you know, various sections for it. Uh, but I'm going to talk about some specific ones. So post-install, one of the first things that you want to do um, and this is actually generic for any day if you think something's going wrong with BCO. But post-install, the first things you want to check are the system status. There's obviously there's some ch configuration changes that are nice to make under the system configuration. And then you want to check the data hub status. And what you'll basically see here is under the system status, um, this is one of, the, one of the central points for diagnosing uh, BCO. So if um, the under the status, you get a component status. This is going to list every component in the, in the environment, both on the application server and all the ETL engines. And it's going to tell you whether from BCO's estimation this, they're okay or an error state. And if there's an error, it's something generally something to look into. And also there's a bunch of there's messages um, at the top section that you can drill down into that will tell you what's wrong. So here, this is a simple environment. So we have one ETL in warning state. You know, that might be something to look at. Um, but something read in the component status is generally something that needs to be investigated. And then from there what we have is um, 
one of the things to, to note is who, how does this data get updated, the component status? And the answer is that this data is updated via the, um, the component status checker. So this is a system task that runs. It runs every 10 minutes by default, and it just checks to make sure, checks the status of the BCO components. Um, one, thing, one thing to note is that um, when you first run BCO, it's very common for any time you first start BCO, it's very common uh, for the data hub to show up as red, uh, error status in the initial um, the initial status screen, and the reason is just that the data hub takes a lot longer to start than all the other BCO components because it services it does so much uh, in the background. There's a lot of initialization, so what you end up with is um, you know it's red. Ten minutes later, when the, the component status checker runs again, it will be green. It'll be fine. Um, Moving beyond the system status page, another good thing to look at is the, um, is the data hub status. These are all of the services that run within the data hub. Uh, the ones that you're generally most interested in is the near real-time warehouse service, which takes the data from the staging tables and moves that data into the actual data table. Um, other, but there are, many of these services are very important to the functionality of BCO. You know, the remote scheduling supervisor is what's making sure that the schedulers are working. Uh, the search service is what's allowing you to, you know, keeps the index, updates the index, and manages, uh, you know, allows you to do searches within BCO. Um, and, you know, the other services control their <laughs> respective, uh, you know, features. But one of the things, just make sure that this is all green. Um, this is, you know, just a general thing to check. And if, there, if any of these aren't green, you can view the logs for the components uh, with the view log button. After the install of BCO, uh, it's frequently good to go into the configuration screen and just configure. One thing to configure is the email configuration, giving BCO the opportunity to mail alerts excuse me, to you. But um, and in the past, that was requested via the, um, as part of the installer, it would ask you for the email information. Uh, now it's just specified via this general tab. Um, but I think this is one to definitely set up. The, there's a bunch of other features that you can configure through this configuration tab, and it's worth looking into. You know, one of the ones I'll call out is the BCO user interface date format. The default is a European date format of day, day, month, month, year. A lot of people uh, change that in the U.S. to something that uh, you know we're more familiar with. Um, I like to go to the sort of the universal, you know, year, month, day format. So it's not a U.S. format. It's not a uh, it's not a uh, European format. And one of the reasons for that is the thing to be aware of is that there are still internal dates that are written by the product, particularly in log files. So you've got to be aware that um, if you see a strange date um, in a log, be aware that the day and the month might be uh, flip-flop from what you're used to. Um, most things are con most of the, us the user interface is controlled by changing this date format, uh, but log not all of the log files are changed. Although most logs use the norm, the uh, I'm not sure what you call, but like the I, the, the internationalized format, uh, ISO standard date format. Um, one of the other recommendations is that the database space manager does he man that that process manages the creation and deletion of uh, the database partitions. But one of the other things it does is run the table statistics against those partitions. And it runs table stats against the um, partition tables 
each each night. But it don't, only runs table stats against the non-partition tables when it has been specifically configured to run in analyze mode. And so one of the recommendations is after you first install BCO and imported um, a bulk of data, you know, so basically, you know, initialize BCO with the, the, the base of data that you expect to be there. It's a good idea to run uh, this in analyze mode in order to get the table statistics calculated for those um, non-partition uh, tables. And then from there moving forward, it's, this is one of the things where it's a task that you could either leave it in analyze mode, there's certainly a little bit of a concern as far as performance because the analyze mode is going to take, take longer than the, auto, the typical auto configuration. But basically, um, this should be run maybe quarterly or certainly whenever somebody says there's a, you know, if somebody says, oh, I'm, I'm unhappy with BCO performance, I don't think it's performing well, this is one of the things to look at before you, you know, start investigating in detail what's going on. Because I've certainly seen this, uh, running this in analyze mode, have significant uh, benefits to performance uh, when, when the Oracle database is picking a bad, um, process, you know, SQL plan. I'll mention another thing just because I find it so useful, which is changing the BCO web interface session timeout. By default, the session timeout is 30 minutes. Um, and then you have to log back into BCO. Uh, where I'm using BCO all day, um, and I have my sessions up before lunch, after lunch, um, you know, I do, and I, they'll sit idle for a while. I don't always want to log in every time I come back to it, so I'll, I'll increase these timeouts. You know, I added a, or I added a warning here as far as um, for large environments, you want, might want to be careful with this. I have no specific reason to think that there's a problem here. I haven't had anybody report an issue with the timeouts. But if, you, if you're in a production environment with large numbers of users um, using the, the system, you know, you don't want to have, you know, tons, you know, tons and tons and tons of sessions. So I've certainly seen a lot of people increase this, an hour, some people two hours. Um, but, you know, I, be aware that it exists, that you can change it, and it's done through a config file. Uh, one of the things you'll notice is that all of these, um, you know, the presentations are available for download uh, from the community site once, uh, you know, after this presentation is done at some point. And all of these um, documents uh, are, are hyperlinked, so if you do have, want further information, uh, you can always come in here and click on this and it will get you uh, the information to the doc. Or you can just search by the KAID if you want information before the presentation is available and you can get to it. So BCO maintenance, just going to quickly run through some of the maintenance tasks that are available. Um, one of the first things is once you've first installed the product um, or if you're looking for more um, dashboards or views to be available, um, the, you deploy those through the system maintenance tab. So basically, um, there's an additional components tab, and you can deploy whatever dashboards um, need to be, um, that what, the ones you want visible in the Views tab in BCO. So out of the box, the Views tab is blank. There are no views deployed. But there are a bunch of out-of-the-box views that can be deployed, um, or, and, and you can deploy them here. And they'll, they become immediately visible once the deployment's happened. The other very useful thing in the maintenance activities um, is, is the log grabber. Um, that's a big uh, component. Uh, uh, that's something that support will, will frequently request uh, from you is uh, if, if we're debugging something is log grabber output. Uh, and this is also where you can deploy hotfixes. 
And you know, one of the things the slide calls out is that you can also uh, roll back um, so not some, most hotfixes or most patches can be rolled back, not service packs, um, sometimes not some cumulative patches. And then basically once you've applied a patch on top of you know, one, you can't roll back you know, older versions of things. So you kind of start from the latest patch and roll back. Uh, one thing to m uh, mention here is there's an option to generate the AMPL license uh, for, uh, which is used in the consolidation dashboard. But starting in BC090, there are two different, um, there are two different optimization uh, formulas that can be used. There's a balance load on targets, um, aggressive method, and fast method. The fast method is out of the box. It doesn't require a license. It's you know, a, the recommended method, honestly, and it's the, me it's the method that works quite well for most customers. Uh, but if you still want to use the aggressive method, which was what uh, existed in BCO45 and earlier, um, you can you know, request a, an AMPL license through uh, support. And this affects really the consolidation dashboard. You know, so we talked about deploying out of the box dashboards. Um, and then from here, if there were some sort of a failure, you can always view the deployment logs uh, by downloading. And this is true for patches that you deploy as well by clicking the download button. Um, the uh, patches, uh, the, these log files will normally have a, an extension like .nep or dot, you know, dot something that looks like a weird format. Internally, they're zip files. So if you really want to look at the contents, you can. You, know, you can unzip them. For the most part, the idea is that you know, support will be looking at the contents because it's not designed to be you know, end user accessible. Um, but if you want to jump in the logs and see what went on uh, yourself, you can. And basically, you know, mention the log grabber again. You know, when you run it, it'll ask what ETL engines to run it on, uh, or what what schedulers I should say to run it on. Um, you know, and depending on the problem, it depends on what schedulers you're running on. Most of the time, the application server logs are, are what's required. Um, although for certain types of problems, you might also grab the ETL engine where a problem is occurring, uh, the logs from there. And you can, when you click this download button, uh, it will you know, give you the log file to be able to download. Uh, again, patches, one of the things is I, what's really nice about BCO is the patch deployment happens from the web browser on the client that you're running. So you've got a web browser up on your PC, you log into BCO, you can upload the patch from your PC, it'll, BCO will automatically upload it, and it'll automatically deploy it for you. So you don't have to log into the application server, you don't have to log into the ETL engines to deploy a patch. Um, and one of the things I'll note is when the patch is running, the page that you're seeing will be static, which is it's going to say, you can see the, the bottom screenshot, the patch says that it's running, there's a refresh button that you can click. That refresh button will reload the, um, will reload the page um, so that you can see when the patch is finished. So the refresh button is, is circled uh, you know, or in a red square. So this page won't update. You, you click the refresh button to get it to update. I want to call out online help just because it is, there's been such a substantial improvement in the accessibility of online help between 4.5 and 9.0, and I think um, it's worth looking at. Um, there is, at the top of the page, a help button, and in many, in its context-sensitive help. 
So what you have is when you click on that Help button, it knows the page you're in, and it's going to drop you into uh, the help that's associated with that specific page. I, especially for, I think, the dashboards uh, or the views. I think this is an incredibly uh, useful feature because it's going to talk about the metrics. It's going to talk about what you're looking at. The other place where this is really useful is when you're creating an ETL, there is a help button that's in the ETL creation screen that brings you right to the, the, the help documentation that describes that, uh, that ETL and is going to include things like configuration recommendations, metrics lists, um, the information you need about the ETL. So I definitely recommend, um, you, know, if, you know, if you're looking at something, you have a question, start with the help um, and, and see, uh, see if that gets you, uh, gets you what you're looking for. And I just want to do mention one thing, which is right now the online help does require that your BCO application server have an, a network connection that allows it to reach the docs.bmc.com site. This is legitimately online help. It's on the Internet. It's on a BMC machine. Uh, and if the application server can't access the site, then you're not going to get the help. Um, there's a you know, plan in the works to um, you know, change, uh, change this up. But right now it's a requirement. Uh, I think for most environments that hasn't been a big, uh, big deal, um, but it's worth noting. I wanted to cover the vCenter Service Extractor just because it's new and different from um, some of the other ETLs that um, it runs in a different way, and because it is by far the most common ETL to be deployed in an environment. Um, so the VMware vCenter Extractor service is new, and it's different from there was an ETL in BCO 4.5 uh, and earlier called the VMware vCenter and ESX Server History Extractor. I, I think the name was a little different before, but, but this, this ETL still exists in 9.0. But the History Extractor runs against vCenter and extracts data from the vCenter um, tables that are, that are the performance data um, database tables. So vCenter is tracking and summarizing data. The history extractor goes in and pulls the data from those tables. The vCenter, um, VMware vCenter extractor service doesn't pull data from the vCenter tables. It uses vCenter as a proxy to get the data directly from the ESX host, the raw 20-second um, sample data, which it then summarizes internally. Um, the benefit of this is um, this is similar to, if you're familiar with the BMC Performance Assurance product, this is similar to the vCenter proxy solution that exists on the BMC Performance Assurance side, um, where basically the product is getting the raw data, it's doing the summarizations for you. One of the big benefits of this is that you don't have to have the VMware statistics level. This is independent of the statistics level that's set within vCenter. So we're able to pull the metrics that are needed uh, regardless of what metrics are being maintained and summarized in the vCenter perform, uh, performance database. But this is a big difference um, from the um, a regular ETL in that this ETL runs all the time. So what you'll see is that this ETL is always blue. This extractor service is always blue. It's always running. And if you check the log, what you'll see is that it wakes up, it collects its data, and then it kind of goes back into, it goes to sleep, but it shows it's running all the time. So this is, um, this is different from really any other ETL that exists in, in BCO. 
And it's nice because what, what you get is a constant stream of data flowing from BCO um, into or flowing from vCenter into BCO, which is then summarized and massaged and becomes available in BCO in your actual charts about once an hour. I'll talk a little bit uh, more about that later, um, how this constant flow of always running becomes data showing up in BCO in hourly chunks. But uh, if you want to stop one of these, you can, you know, when you can kill the service that's running. You can stop the running vCenter service. Um, otherwise, you'll see that it is, it's, you know, scheduled as NA. It's not scheduled. It's in status service on. It's always running. So some general ETL troubleshooting for the service ETL. So unlike um, the, the service ETL um, has every time, you'll see there's a number, of course these slides don't quite match, so uh, these IDs are different. But there is a service, uh, there's an ID here of 152 that's associated with, the ET, if, with this ETL. There's, then it would be an associated service log which would be associated with that, same, with that ETL, and it's going to be broken down by day. Um, you can also get to the logs by clicking uh, this show log button, but this show log button is only going to show you the last um, basically hour, so the last execution of this ETL's logs. Um, so if you need sort of a history of multiple days, you can get into this, um, you can get into the file system on the ETL engine where this is running, and you can view the logs from there. Uh, one of the things to be aware of, uh, th this, this service ETL generally is, is quite stable. Um, for the most part, what you see as far as big uh, problems are uh, scheduler. This uses the scheduler heap size because it's a service ETL. It's always running within the scheduler. It doesn't run as a separate uh, Java uh, process outside of the scheduler like a normal ETL would. Um, and what you'll see is in a first, when you first implement, if the heap size is too low, um, you, you'll see a Java uh, memory uh, null pointer, excuse me, Java um, memory exception in the log and the service will, will terminate. Again, not at most environments, but some, and you can increase that. The stock tells you about doing it. And what you'll see is that the scheduler keeps getting restarted. That's a, that's a clear symptom of it. This runs against vCenter. That's what this thing at the top is trying to talk about is that um, this isn't running against, even though it's getting data using vCenter to proxy the data from the host, uh, it is not, um, you know, it's running against vCenter, so you want to make sure that it's talking to a VM or vCenter machine. Even though it's running all the time, if you, you can stop and restart the scheduler, if the scheduler is down for less than five minutes, you won't lose any data at all. And if it's down for more than five minutes, you, prob you might lose some samples, but you probably won't notice it. Um, you know, it's not until you start to be down for uh, longer periods that data would start to be lost. Um, and this is one of the big things as far as the BCO, uh, this, this vCenter service ETL, which is when you first start this ETL, it actually takes quite a while to prime uh, the, the database up or get the data to be visible in BCO and the, in the BCO charts. And the reason for that is that the service ETL is, uh, is running. It's got a, it has a local database that it's taking the, the individual samples that it collects into. And then it's summarizing those all up together at basically typically the one-hour rate, although that can be reconfigured. And at that point, the data is going to end up in BCO. So normally, you'd see data after about an hour, 
but it depends on when. You know, you need to have one full hour of data. So the first time you start it, you know, in theory, it could take up to two hours for data to show up in BCL. So just be aware of that, that when you first deploy one of these vCenter service extractors, the recommendation would be look in the logs for the extractor um, and don't bother looking into the law uh, and don't look for data for until, you know, give it some time for data to actually show up. Um, you'll know if the extractor is not working because there'll be uh, clear, you know, usually it'll be red. It'll tell you, you know, I couldn't connect to vCenter or whatever problem it's having. And then just links, you know, for people who have access to the presentation, more, um, you know, more information uh, that's available uh, for this. Moving on to the BPA ETL, um, I wanted to talk about this because I think that this is a really good way. The BPA ETL, obviously, it's a product that I started with, um, you know, so I like it very much. Um, but it's a really good way to collect um, collect performance data um, from systems, you know, where you have a perform agent deployed, um, or if you're using the perform proxy solution. And one of the things I wanted to talk about was, you know, some general recommendations now are. We would recommend using the Viz parser over the CDB CDB extractor. They're both perfectly acceptable solutions. The Viz parser, I think, gives you a little bit better uh, granularity and control over recovery and over what uh, over what gets processed each day. Um, and the other benefit is because of the integration with the general manager web service, um, you, there's a nice um, there's a nice way to get the data from the BPA console to BCO for processing, get these ZIS files, um, you know, as, as opposed to in the distant past when you had to set up SCP or scripts to copy the data over. So the, this is how we would recommend setting up BPA. And it talks, this talks about how um, you'd set it up. So the key is that you point it to the general manager web service. You can see here, you know, few too many T's uh, in this path. And that generates a message that I, you know, it can't can't do this list all finish manager runs because it. And the thing to check is that it uh, that it can it connect to the GM web interface. If it can connect, but it can't find any viz files, this is because of a um, filter. A manage you have to specify which manager runs you want this ETL to extract data for. Um, this was specified uh, as you know couldn't find a KVM manager run and it couldn't find the Commodore 64 manager run you know so one of these unlikely to ever exist um, but what you've got now is you know uh, it'll tell you I couldn't find any of files to extract and then you've got here uh, when you specify some uh, manager runs that do exist uh, it'll detect the manager runs and basically it'll transfer the data. Now, if you're a BCO administrator and you only have access to the BCO console, um, then and there's a problem where the ETL is not um, doesn't appear to be working; it's failing while parsing the viz files. You can configure the ETL to archive the viz files locally um, after they've been pro processed by the um, ETL. Uh, but if you have access to the BPA console, you can also just go grab them from there. Um, so whichever is more uh, convenient. Automatic transfer of viz files uh, is only available for the BPA 7510 FP1 and later. And there's a bunch of uh, documentation uh, that really that delves into this process. Uh, so.
And I want to mention there's been a whole separate webinar on it, so I am not going to cover this uh, in detail here. But there is a tool that summarizes the flow of data between BCO and BPA. And there's a tool that summarizes the results you know, across multiple BPA consoles. And there is recovery functionality where you can create recovery ETLs which will basically identify days of data that were not imported uh, by your nightly ETL, possibly because something happened on the BCO side, I'm sorry, on the BPA side. Um, but there's a webinar on that. And if you go to this best practices webinar, um, you can see how that process is set up. So for a BPA shop, I really think the Viz Parser for your nightly runs with this, uh, this recovery ETL, which is also Viz Parser based for your recovery runs, is a, an, a great way to set up the environment. Uh, and it's worth looking into. Uh, if you have questions, you know, where you know, support is standing by to assist with this, uh, we think that it can be uh, really useful for, um, for getting a nice, clean, uh, nightly uh, data flow in the environment. So moving on to actual data flow within BCO. So one of the things I want to talk mention is that ETLs are composed of, there's officially three phases, right? There's the, the E is extract, T is transform, and L is load. Most ETLs have two phases, which is the extraction phase and the load phase. And one of the things when you're debugging uh, an environment is to look at what part of my, if it's an ETL problem, what part of my ETL has failed? Did it fail in the extraction phase or did it fail in the load phase? And that's actually generally pretty clear from the logs because it will actually tell you what phase it's in. You know, it'll say begin load phase when it moves into the load phase. Um, but that can really, if you think about that, that is drill, that is cut the difficulty of debugging an ETL in half when you know which, which part of it, which part of the process is failing. Now certainly the load phase could fail due to bad incoming data, um, but a lot of the times, more than that, the load phase will fail with an actual Oracle error that you can drill down into. Um, or the ETL phase, you know um, if you see that the ETL, it fails in the extract phase, you don't need to worry about, do I have a problem with my BCO database? Um, if it's in the extract phase, the ETL has, is not talking with the BCO database as far as loading data. They are completely separate events. Um, I also want to mention some confusion that's around when first creating an ETL. When you, do a, when you go in and say, add ETL, add a new ETL, it, there's basically an ETL creation wizard that is created. And that ETL creation wizard is actually creating three distinct things for you. It creates an ETL container object, which is basically the schedulable object, the thing that the scheduler, um, you know, you schedule with a specific time and it has a name. It creates a run configuration within that ETL container. And that's all of sort of the information about the ETL itself, which is things like, you know, if, it's, if you have to point it to a file, if you have to um, give it configuration options as far as what type of data to extract, that lives within the run configuration. And then it creates a, a separate hierarchy rule, at least the out-of-the-box ETLs create a separate hierarchy rule. And this separate hierarchy rule is what then creates the, um, in the under the workspace, tab, it's what creates the domain hierarchy, so how the systems relate to, so in a, from a vCenter standpoint, how um, guests relate to hosts, how hosts relate to clusters, um, and then how, you know, so you get that information uh, by the hierarchy rule. 
And so one of the things is that when you first create these ETLs and you're done with them, um, you know, after it's been created, in order to modify some of these components that were all sort of in tabs across the top is this add ETL on the right, there are now different places that you go to make those modifications. Um, so just be aware of that. That's something that I see uh, trip up uh, new people. And one of the things I always say is almost always when you're editing an ETL, when somebody says edit an ETL or you're trying to change the configuration of ETL, it's almost always the run configuration that you're modifying, which is this button sort of in the middle on the right. Uh, it looks like a little pencil with a blue circle around it. Um, it's usually not the edit button at the top. The edit button at the top is the ETL container, um, and that's generally just the, what you edit there is what time to schedule an ETL. Everything else about the ETL, as far as the configuration, is in this run configuration section. BCO scheduler extracts, uh, executes ETLs at a specific time. The extract phase runs, the load phase runs. It loads data into the staging tables within the BCO database. Data that's in the staging table is not visible in any of the, BC, in any of the BCO charts. It is sitting, waiting for the near real-time warehouse service to move and summarize that data from the staging tables into the BCO data table. And so what it starts with is the store sys thread, um, which we're going to talk about a little bit later with this warehouse. The store sys thread moves the data um, into, um, into the detail um, data. And then basically the WH sys thread moves the data into the hour granularity. And then the red sys thread moves the data into the day and monthly uh, granularity. So it does the, the necessary calculations to summarize the data together. So there are different queues that are running within the, data re the near real-time warehouse which handle uh, this data flow. And so this is good to know when you're de deciding what you're, um, what you're not seeing. Oh, one thing I should also note here, though, I'm talking about data here, um, this screen, because there's also, you know, there's also business drivers um, which have their own queues that they work through. So instead of store sys, it's like store WKLD. And then there's a configuration metrics are handled separately. So you can see here this is sort of the path through from the ETL. Um, configuration data is handled by this queue. <clears throat> the other metrics are handled as, you know, through this, this chain of queues. And they drop down um, step by step. There is a screen in BCO where you can actually see the queue status, um, and that's here. Um, it is under uh, administration, data hub, status, near real-time uh, warehouse queue status. And basically, these are the different queues that are processing data. In general, what we say is that as long as the uh, queue length is below, and this is a very rough uh, rule of thumb, the queue length is below a million, and the max queue age is below a day, you probably don't have an issue. Um, now, you might have, if BCO is alerting you to an error during the queue processing, it's worth going in and clicking on the show log to see what error messages might be getting generated. But, you know, if you have a real problem of the queue is not keeping up, what you'll see is this queue length and, the, and certainly the max queue age will grow and grow. Um, I wanted to mention two buttons just because they come up. Um, there's the freshness and the blacklist. Um, the freshness is related to how long data is considered fresh.
fresh after it's been, you know, metrics are considered fresh and don't need to be reprocessed or processed by the data warehouse because, like, configuration metrics uh, are fresh for, I believe, it's six hours. Um, and so what that means is that, that new configuration data uh, will, can take a while to get imported into BCO and updated into, um, become visible in the database. And the reason for that is that in a typical environment, like if you think about the vCenter extractor, that is collecting the same configuration metrics interval by interval by interval. BCO doesn't need to import the same thing, you know, 20 times. Um, what it can do is it can wait for 20 data points to show up, 20 not an exact number there, but it can wait for the data points to show up and then it can summarize them all together in one fell swoop and import basically one metric into BCO. And if, there, if the data points are causing an error, there's a blacklist and that blacklist will, um, metrics go on it, those metrics uh, sit on it in, for an amount of time and then BCO will eventually retry them. Um, but usually things end up on the blacklist because either the metric is bad, um, it's talking, it says, the, it's from an ETL that is saying the date uh, is sometime in the future, it's trying to import a metric from 2014 and it doesn't know how to do that because um, there's no um, partition for it, or it's saying something like there's an Oracle error uh, and that, that's what gets something on the blacklist usually. There's also a data flow report uh, that basically um, lists, flows through the, um, the, how much data is being processed. Uh, this is a report that, you know, we use it a lot, especially when we think that there's a data flow problem to see if, um, you know, if, if the processing throughput basically has dropped off significantly. So like this environment, you know, one question that I would want to know is why did my processing rows, uh, you know, was it 2 million on this particular day? Um, and it's so much lower on other days. Now, there's a lab environment, obviously, that maybe that was just an ETL ran that day that doesn't run other days. But if you look at this data flow report, especially if you say, geez, it seems to me like data is missing from BCO, um, this is a really good place to look uh, to decide whether the situation might be that, yeah, a bunch of data has stopped uh, importing into BCO. But this is kind of not super granular because of the, high, the level that it's at, uh, where this isn't telling you exactly what ETL uh, isn't, uh, isn't bringing data in. Um, that, that, there are ways to get that information through some of the self-monitoring reports. Um, but I would say if you start to suspect um, you know, that, that data is not coming in, feel free to contact support. We can help you through the process um, and point you to some, some additional documentation. Wanted to mention um, the aging configuration, which is what decides how long data is going to be maintained within BCO. Uh, this uh, lives uh, basically, we talked to, I talked about the partitions, how BCO has partition data tables, and each partition is num has partition period number of days. Um, so in this case, like if you look at SysData detail, uh, the partition period is seven days, and the aging is 55 days. And so what that means is every seven days, BCO will break, uh, you know, creates a new, there's a new partition. Um, data from that seven-day period will end up in that new partition. And once data in the oldest partition is beyond 55 days, once all of the data in the oldest partition is beyond 55 days, the database space manager will drop that partition. So what's nice about that is this very efficient delete process 
because we don't even have to look at uh, what was in the data. We know that it's all the time period that's beyond our aging. It all just gets dropped. Um, so this is great, um, a nice, clean way to uh, handle the um, data aging. And I'll mention the synchronized partition object button just because we've seen it, um, which is that um, in, this is a button that Oracle's maintaining these partitions. BCO has its own internal list of the database space managers running off of. If the database space manager generates some error message because um, while it's running, uh, like failed to drop partition, um, specified partition doesn't exist, you can resynchronize BCO's view of the partitions with um, the database's view. Very uncommon that's necessary, but you know, the button was there. And then just mentioning hierarchies. Um, hierarchies basically um, build object relationships within BCO. And these object relationships uh, end up, uh, there's, a, um, there's a staging table within BCO, um, the OBSREL um, staging table, which basically takes this hierarchy information and then the hierarchy manager uh, has individual hierarchy rules for each ETL that defines one. Pretty much all the out-of-the-box ones do, um, you know, like the BPA one, vCenter. This hierarchy information then builds that tree, which is under the workspace tab. So you can actually see uh, what, um, you know, the relationship between systems, how, you know, in the BPA world, how workloads associate with systems, uh, or like I said in vCenter before, how guests associate with hosts, associate with clusters, and so on. Um, the hierarchies are applied as a diff between the previous execution of the hierarchy and the current, and the, and the current data. So it looks at the staging table, um, the, the hierarchy that was imported yesterday versus the, the what was imported today, and it says what's changed between those two, and it applies those changes as an add or remove. And what that means is, um, what that means is that if a system, if you get into a situation where you think a hierarchy has somehow gotten out of sync, where you're like, geez, this hierarchy doesn't look like I'm missing systems that I think should be there, it's certainly something support should look into um, because it shouldn't happen. But one of the things that you can do if you're looking for just a real quick fix um, is rerun a hierarchy rule with a restore relations. You'll see that in the hierarchy manager, uh, this, is, uh, in, um, this is available through the, the BCO administration interface. There is a um, clean up this restore relations button. And what this button will do is it basically says, don't perform a diff between yesterday's hierarchy and today's hierarchy. Basically, stop the hierarchy that exists and create the new hierarchy in this thing today, basically with yesterday's data, from the latest hierarchy that was imported. So this is kind of saying something's gotten out of sync between the old hierarchy, the, what BCO believes the hierarchy is, and what really is there. So this is, um, usually if you have the time, it's worth engaging support to you know, look into why the rule is, um, you know, why you had a hierarchy issue. But if you're looking for sort of a quick fix, um, this is a, you know, typically a quick way to, uh, to resync everything in BCO. And if you're not doing it frequently, uh, you know, I think that's you know, a once in a while thing. Um, it's going to have no, no impact, in the, no negative impact. 
this is the hierarchy, you know, what the hierarchy rules looks like. So you basically have one rule per, um, per ETL uh, that defines a hierarchy. And there are two types uh, of hierarchies most, most commonly created. There's an object relationship, which is what builds that, um, the work, uh, workspace structure that I was talking about, the relations between systems. And then there's a derived metrics hierarchy. That's used extensively by the BPA, ETL, and by some other um, ETLs, the BPA in particular, where what it does is it builds up these uh, metrics. Um, it builds derived metrics. So let's say that you have a bunch of AIX partitions and you want, it'll, it will calculate the frame level utilization based upon the partition utilization. So the idea is propagating these metrics up, um, up the chain. BCO recovery and debugging. Try to identify um, what component has failed. Uh, generally, this is, is it start with the administration system status diagnostic alerts. Um, once you've identified a component, review the logs for that component. Um, you know, problems due to file system full condition are somewhat common. Problems due to Oracle errors are quite common. Uh, and generally, like as a first try something, just restart the component. Uh, that's a, that will fix, you know, some number of errors. It's quick. It might get you back up and running. Um, and then you can, you know, contact support for root cause analysis. But uh, it's a good starting point. Uh, when debugging uh, BCO ETL problems, at a minimum, support's going to want the out error file that's associated with the ETL, and a jump of the configuration is useful. Um, it's almost always useful to provide the log grabber output to support, um, particularly from the application server, um, but uh, it's not absolutely, um, it's beneficial it, it, to, to have it. Um, you can't hurt yourself by um, sending it if you send it to support. If you can't get the UI running, there's a command line version that you can run uh, to capture it. And if you can't get the UI running, we're almost always going to want to see Log Grabber. Um, just a note as far as Java memory errors, um, if, um, you know, if you see Java memory errors, particularly this one, Java laying out of memory, Java heap space, for an ETL, this is generally uh, increasing this is, uh, is a good idea. The default, I believe, is 512 still going up to a megabyte. Um, uh, is uh, sorry, uh, gigabyte is generally um, no issue uh, going depending on your memory configuration you know you might want to check you know two might be fine if you feel like you have to go beyond that I'd engage somebody in support to ask BCO has a whole bunch of error codes that are associated with it these are great for searching for your errors so you can see here um, there's an error code BCO task ERR 011 especially with this message if you expand out with this little right triangle that's on the right hand side of the message that can really get you the details you need for bringing this to um, getting you know for doing a search on the web uh, on the BPA I'm sorry on the BMC uh, customer support site uh, by the error code, and especially if there's an Oracle error, that will usually hit a document you're looking for. And this just talks about uh, what the, the breakdown is, you know, what, what type of severity it is. Um, typically, you know, error and fail are the big uh, concerns. Warning might be something to look at. Um, one of the big things that you see in BCO uh, is troubleshooting con broken connections between the scheduler and the data hub. The symptoms of this are that in the component status, um, what you'll see is that your schedulers are all offline, uh, and <clears throat> sometimes you'll, leave, you'll sometimes you'll see a data hub error too. Um, but uh, this is if you can't schedule ETLs is a common symptom. Uh, the 
this is usually a consequence of network problems or a full file system, and it's worth start with that. You know, and the logs will usually tell you if um, with if those are the problems. If you can't tell, uh, engage uh, support. And if you do have a full file system situation, you know, obviously fix the problem. Find out what the uh, big file is. Um, make sure that cleanups, you know, are, are happening. There's a file system cleaner which deletes old files. Um, and if you can't, engage support um, to figure out why uh, it filled up. But that is a big file system full is something to avoid as best you can in BCO. Uh, it definitely impacts, especially on the application server, the whole environment. If you have problems with the data hub queues, um, expanding, um, you know, long queues, greater than a day, greater than a million rows, um, their BCO will start generating uh, warning messages. Um, this is usually the result of a database problem, and there's, you know, check the warehouse log for that. Um, and after fixing the problem, you can clear the freshness and blacklist that we talked about in order to sort of kickstart everything back in. Uh, <clears throat> if there are no error, Oracle errors, you know, one good first step is just stop the data hub and restart it. We can do a root cause analysis post, uh, you know, afterwards. But, you know, this frequently um, will get things, uh, you know, back up and running because the, the data hub will complete, will reinitialize. Here's a list of Oracle errors. I'm not going to go through all of these, but um, you know there are there are KAs associated with all of them. And I think part of the point I want to make is if you see an Oracle error in BCO, one of the first things to do is just search for it in the BCO in the in the knowledge base, uh, because the, there is generally going to be a published document associated with it. And you'll see the vast majority of these are have to be dealt with by the D, the DBA. Um, so the knowledge article will explain what the error means and why the DBA has to fix it, um, particularly like this connect internal only until freed, the, this Oracle one, the second one on the list. The DBA has to engage on that. Um, one of the ones, uh, you know, definitely uh, the B BMC ones is this um, Aura 01555, snapshot too old, big one for BMC to look at because usually that means the SQL query is running too long. Um, so, and the other one is this inserted partition key does not map to any partition, uh, the third from the bottom. Uh, that is typically the database space manager is not running or is failing and hung, failed in some way. Um, and then this bottom one is maximum number of processes exceeded. In this example, um, this would be a BMC issue. There's 550 processes configured. Uh, that's plenty. BCO doesn't need that many, so there's something to look into. Um, but if, you know, the maximum number of processes was 60, um, you know, that's a DBA has got to increase the uh, session count. Troubleshooting missing data from ETLs. This uh, deserves uh, a longer discussion, but basically um, you're in a report, um, data is missing from that report, and you wonder why. The first thing to check is go to a system that would have been in that report, Look at, so you pick the system on the left-hand side with the one, you pick the metrics tab two, you go to the system metrics. In this example, it's using by IF in byte rate because that was the um, report that was, you know, that I didn't show but that was being looked at. Um, typically, I would use CPU util is a metric that I almost always look at because it exists for almost every system. You want to make sure, check the date range for uh, the metric. See how here this is. Um, 616 to 1222, 
if it were, say, 1225, well, Christmas we wouldn't want to look at, 1228 when we're looking at this, we haven't had data for quite a while. Um, you know, and here's your last activity date, 1222. This all looks good. But, like, if your last, your last activity date is when um, the ETL last, uh, you know, last ran and imported data, um, if that's current but the two period is old, what that could indicate is that the ETL was broken for a while and it's gotten, um, it's pulling data from behind, from the past. You know, this is then, uh, and I'll move on to the next here, then you click this button, which is the quick analysis button, and the quick analysis button will give you a chart showing uh, what data is available. So this basically just walked through what I just described here. Uh, the last step, uh, is that you can click this info button and that'll tell you which ETL is supposed to bring in this data. Uh, this is a very common, you know, if data is missing, what you want to try to do is drill it down to an individual system, try to pick a sample system that's the, the problem. And once you've got a sample system, if you can drill into an ETL and look at is the ETL a problem, that'll, that's a, that'll get you pretty far to figuring out um, what needs to be done. Um, if, if there's still open questions at that point, like the ETL isn't failing uh, or it isn't clear why the data is not coming in, that to me is a, a you know, engaged support on that. Uh, we can absolutely assist. Quick coverage of the virtual, farm, uh, of virtual farms. We talked about the deployed from the maintenance page. They're fed by supported ETLs, and by that we mean out-of-the-box ETLs are what are intended to feed the virtual farms. It is certainly possible to create custom ETLs that feed virtual farms, but you're probably going to need assistance from something like a, you know, professional services, um, maybe the community site, but um, really they're there for um, the out-of-the-box dashboards, um, you know, unless consulting services uh, is engaged at some level. And these are based upon um, materialized data marks. So the idea here is that these views are materialized, um, which makes the, gives you good performance. Uh, the calculations are done at night uh, when, they, when they run. If one of the views isn't working, this is usually not necessary to redeploy them. Um, but certainly the thing to check is to make sure that the install version is the same as your BCO version. Every time you install a new service pack, these views will be updated and you need to redeploy them. So um, service pack versions will increment the view versions. Obviously new releases will increment the view versions. They need to be redeployed. So one thing to make sure of is that they've been properly deployed, um, that you're running the latest release. And then basically, if they're empty, check to make sure that the associated data mart is actually importing the data. You can see here that there's an AIX virtual farm data mart, there's a cloud capacity visibility, and so on. So these data marts are what actually populate the data, the tables that are then used by the views. And you can request, if you're in the dashboard in the view, uh, you can request a views refresh, uh, typically via the settings tab, uh, which basically reruns that data mart that I mentioned. And you can see when the last refresh occurred over on the left-hand side here. One quick note on customization, <clears throat> BCO is heavily customizable via custom ETLs, custom views, custom advanced reports, but one of the things is make sure that customization is necessary um, and make sure you're customizing at the required level. So if you can accomplish something with a generic CSV parser or database extractor, you don't really need to create that full ETL via the integration studio. Analysis and model data marks take an analysis and create a materialized view that can be used as the ba basis then for BCO views, the dashboard views. 
So one thing to make sure of is don't, you don't need to write advanced SQL that's going in and, and calculating and extracting data from BCO if it can be done by creating an underlying analysis or model and then using that data in your, uh, your custom uh, view. One of the things to be aware of is that when writing custom SQL for BCO view, everything that's referenced in that custom SQL really should be from the BCO views or materialized view. Um, custom SQL that reference table other than the, the public views, the, I said from BCO views, I meant public views uh, or the ER views, these are materialized um, data mart views, they officially fall outside of the scope of technical support, which means we'll, we'll generally try to assist um, if there's problems caused by upgrades or things that appear to be product related, but we're not going to assist with the individual custom SQL itself. Um, and if you have questions about how to construct SQL, um, it would be, uh, you know, a good place to go is the community site. And that's the last thing there, which is communities or support. If you have questions in doubt about whether you need to customize the way you're customizing, contact us. Where to find additional information? Pages. You know, documentation, there's an extensive knowledge base, especially if you can tie it down to a BCO error code or an Oracle error code, uh, there's probably a doc for it. And if there's not, let us know. I mean, so, you know, if you're not finding stuff that you think should be there, uh, just keep letting support know that, um, and we'll, we will make it better. Um, and then from there, there's the BMC Capacity Management Communities, which is a great resource. People are, you know, with, you can post questions there. Support is obviously always available for web, um, by a web, email, phone, and there's a whole series of previous best practices webinars that are available on the community site. In fact, this page has a list of all the BCO 9.0 best practices webinars, and there was also some best practices for uh, 4.5. Um, I don't know why I didn't uh, lock, link the storage capacity management one. So that's it. Um, basically, uh, we're done. Uh, there will be a future session coming up. Um, I believe September 17th is administering and maintaining BPA. There's future sessions scheduled after that. Um, but uh, you will, having attended this, you will get notifications of the future sessions uh, as, uh, as we get closer to the date. And that's it. Thanks, everybody. And that will conclude today's conference. We thank you all for joining.